Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to um, Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10. So, uh, had this opportunity this week to uh, go to Florida, fly down to Florida. Um, needed to pick up my daughter and uh, box up some stuff and then bring her back, um, which was a uh, little bit of an ordeal. On uh, You could fly down on Wednesday and then you're back here by Thursday, but it was good nonetheless. So uh, it was a good time in the car with Abby and get a good time of being able to uh, uh, speak with my daughter, spend time with her, and then also spend time in the Word. I got an opportunity as well on this trip to, um, to read again, or actually hear again, uh, this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together. And many of you may be familiar with the book, uh, maybe you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. Uh, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, in a Nazi concentration camp, and he was isolated. Uh, many of his um, fellow friends um, died uh, in that concentration camp, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged in that concentration camp. And, and he wrote in this, in this time that community was so important, and that's where he wrote this book, Life Together. Life Together for him was so important as he spent time in that concentration camp because he realized that one of the greatest graces that God has given us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is the community of believers uh, that sit around us. Uh, He was imprisoned, but he said that this incredible, in the midst of this imprisonment, he was looking forward, he was looking back to the times that he had communal times with other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that there was a, it was a gift of God's amazing grace to him that that community life was there. He said it was extraordinary, roses and lilies of the Christian life. I love that line. He said that we are united in true faith, which comes by the work of Christ in him and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that when we come together as a believing body, he says that we come together as a community. We come together on a day where we come together as a day with others. He says that there are times that that community with God is a day alone, where we just spend time alone with God. He talks about coming before the communion table and confessing as well as we will see uh, this morning. So, so as I was hearing this book and was thinking about the topic that I have to preach on this morning, I have the privilege of preaching on this morning, it's the topic of fellowship. Fellowship is so, so vitally important in the Christian community, we desperately need it. One of the things I really enjoyed about his study was this, that he said, I don't want you to be disillusioned by being in community with other believers as though there is not going to be problems. You know, uh, Pastor Tim was just talking about resolving conflicts. We, we have struggles. We have difficulties. There are dangers that hinder the fellowship. Sin will hinder this fellowship. But, but his central theme was this. We don't look at the perfections of the imperfections of others around us. We look at the perfection of Christ. And as we look at the perfection of Christ and what he is looking to do in and through our lives, we find ourselves a bringer, he said, of the message of salvation. That is our chief reason why we're here. We are called to bring this message of salvation. It's the goal of all Christian community. We come together as a body to bring the message of hope. You you hear it 
in our songs. You hear it through our prayers. You hear it through the preached word. You communicate that as you serve one another. This body comes together. And we are being grown in the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So life together, it is, we are needy people. One writer wrote this book called um, Side by Side. And in that book, he talked about the fact that you are needy people. We are desperately in need of the work that Jesus Christ has done, but we are needed people as well. You are desperately needed in this body, that if this body is going to thrive, if this organism is going to thrive, not just the large church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but this smaller gathering, the chapel at Warren Hills, if Warren Valley, if you are going to be that type of person, if we're going to have that church, you are desperately needed. And that's what we see here in in Hebrews chapter 10. Would you turn there with me? In Hebrews chapter 10, there's only one time a one another is mentioned, and you'll see it a little bit later in this passage as I read it. there are 56 one another passages supposedly in the New Testament. Only one is mentioned here, and it's so vitally important. So would you read with me here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you will see the day drawing near. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we we come together today, and we open your word, and hopefully we are doing life together. Hopefully we are coming together as a community body of believers. Hopefully we're coming together to be bringers of the good news of the salvation provided in your Son. Hopefully we're coming together to be used by one another to to celebrate one another and to share with one another and to offer generosity to one another and fellowship with one another. Help our fellowship to be so sweet, Lord. And Father, as as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to see your Son. Help us to marvel at who he is. He's the great king, the high king of heaven. Help us to be marveling at this great high priest and help us to come confidently into your throne of grace and help us to receive the mercy and the grace to help us in our time of need. Help us to be filled by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be led by your word. And as we go to your communion table, help us to remember what it costs to bring us to faith. In Jesus' matchless and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, this morning I want to talk to you about two points. Um, One point is the position of our fellowship, and the second point is the practice of our fellowship. The position of our fellowship and the practice of our fellowship. The position will take up the first uh, three verses, verses 19, 20, and 21. And then the practice will take up verses 22 to the end. 
Okay, the position. It says here, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by this new and living hope that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. I want you to see the four amazing blessings that God has given you here. He, he has told you that the heavenlies, the heavenly um, holiness has been opened up for you. The holy place has been opened up to every person who is in Christ. You can confidently enter in. The second amazing thing is that we can go in boldness by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can enter boldly with confidence because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are sitting here with doubt or confusion. You do not have to have that if you are in Christ. So we come into the holy places. We come confidently by the blood. There's a new and a living way that is supposed to be there for a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a living Savior, and He wants to live through you and connect in others through you. So this new and living way, and then we have this great high priest. So let's look at the first element of the fact that the holy place has been open to you, and you can come by the confidence. You know, in the Old Testament, you remember when the high priest will once a year on the Day of Atonement would be able to go into that holy of holies, that, that most holy place, and that person would enter in that place with levels of fear and trembling that if he didn't do everything right, he could die. He needed to make sure that he was cleaned. He needed to make sure that he performed everything that needed to be done in it to enter in. And he was worried that he may not be able to do that. There was some fear and trembling that was there. And what is amazing is this, that what Jesus, what they're saying here is this, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can enter in with confidence, with boldness. We can come to the very throne of God with the boldness that is there. It, it implies that you have this ability today. It's a contrast to the Old Testament. That as you read the Old Testament, there was this fear and trembling, but you come with boldness and confidence. It says having confidence to enter in. It implies that it is present right now. Right now, it is conscious. You have this wonderful blessing, and we don't want to exaggerate this, that you have the opportunity today in the midst of your fears and your troubles and your trials that you can enter in to meet with God in the most holy place because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should produce such a confidence in our hearts, a confidence to know that it's not about what's in my hands because I have absolutely nothing I can bring to you, God. I am coming by the blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am coming to full access to God. I get to meet with the King of kings, the high priest of heaven, the Creator God. An amazing access that you have today. I wonder when you come to worship today, do you, do you come flippantly or do you come just haphazardly or do you realize that you have the ultimate privilege of doing what Old Testament saints could never do? You get to enter in and to meet with God. He says, not only are you entering in and that you come with the boldness, but he says that there's a new way of living. 
that Christ through his work has inaugurated a, a radically different life, a radically different life that he has consecrated for you in his living, that Jesus Christ didn't die sim- uh, simply on a cross. He died on the cross. He went into a grave. He rose victoriously from that grave. And we are alive together with him today. We have a living and risen Savior He is with his Father right now in heaven. You have the privilege of not only living by that living Savior, you have the living Word of God that sits before you, and we are called to follow Christ in that same life of living. So many believers live as though they're dead. So many believers live with no hope, no assurance. Not that there aren't struggles. I was just talking to a friend this morning about the struggles that happen in life. There are struggles that happen within, but there is an amazing confidence that we have that God is alive and that if you are in Christ, he lives in you. And that should produce a new way of living. That Jesus Christ, he was crucified and now he lives in me and the life I now live, I live by what? faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. It's interesting in the Greek, it talks about this idea of his blood here, and it talks about it in the idea of a freshly slain. It's not that this blood has coagulated, it's become hardened. This blood is flowing today. This blood is flowing today, not one sacrifice, don't misunderstand me, one sacrifice once for all, but that blood is still alive and healing and moving today to cover us and to work through us. So I pray today that you would come boldly into that holy place. Amaze yourself about the access that you have. And remind yourself it is not because of anything in your life. There is no sin that can separate you except for the sin of unbelief. That all sin can be covered by that precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only do you have, you have the access to the holy place, you can come confidently. You don't have to have doubt or confusion. You can come by the power of Christ. And you have a new way of living. That God wants to transform you so that you look more and more like his resurrected son day after day. So, he also says that we have a great high priest. If you read Hebrews, it's talking about the fact that Jesus is better than. Better than the angels, better than Moses, better than this, better than that. Jesus is better than anything that you could ever imagine in your life. You have the awesome privilege of entering by the veil. He talked about passing through this curtain or this veil. And it symbolizes, you remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said, it is what? Finished. And then the veil in the temple that was separating the holiest place from us, that we can enter into a part of the temple or the part of the tabernacle, but now in Christ we can enter into the throne room of God. And this great high priest, that that veil was torn in two. From top to bottom, Spurgeon said it this way, for believers, the veil is not rolled up, but rent. The veil was not unhooked and carefully folded up and put away so that it might be put in place at some time in the future. Oh no, the divine hand took it and rent it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. It is impossible between those who are in Christ Jesus and the great God, there will never be another separation. I love that. So when you think about your position in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know 
that you enter in to the holiest places. I want you to know that you can enter in confidently by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that there is a new way of living for you, that God wants to live a new life through you. And I want you to know that you have a great high priest. This great high priest is sitting in heaven today interceding for you. Amazing that the second person of the Trinity is interceding for you. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 tells us, is interceding for you if you're in Christ. Know your position. We can't understand real fellowship until you know the position that you stand in. But now the writer says that we move from the position of our fellowship to the practice of our fellowship. He says that in light of everything that Christ has done for you, this is how you're supposed to live. Look with me here in verse 22. He says this, Let us therefore draw near with a true heart, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So he gives these, these commands or these um, in, uh, imperatives out of what we've just learned. What we've learned about who Christ is and what he has done for us and the position that we are in, now this is how we are called to live. And the first thing he calls us to do is to draw near. Draw near. He says, draw near with a true heart, full assurance. You are to faithfully act in such a way to live out what Christ has done for you. You have been, it's supposed to be with a true heart, deep down, that in your heart, this should not just be surface things that we do, not just mouthing it, not just actions. From a depth of our heart, we are called to love Christ and to draw near to Him. Once again, the, the beauty of being able to draw near, you remember back in the Old Testament where um, in Exodus chapter 19, just before Moses received the law and gave the law to the Israelites, do you remember what God had said about the mountain that, is, that uh, Moses was going to climb to meet with God? Moses was to warn the people, do not touch this mountain, that even an animal that touched this mountain would die. That the, the amazing thing is this. God was saying, come and worship me, but stay apart. Come to me, but you need to stay distant. And what he does in Christ is this. He says, come and worship me and come sit on my lap. Be right here. Draw near to God. So the awesome privilege that we have to have our hearts sprinkled it goes back to the Jewish um, sacrifice that after the blood was removed from this animal, it would be sprinkled on the people or on this ark to cover their sins. Your hearts have been sprinkled. He talks about your bodies are washed. It probably symbolizes the baptism, the two ordinances of the church. We're going to celebrate one this morning, the Lord's Supper. The other one is baptism. Baptism, as you go into the waters of baptism, it is not saving you. But what it does is it symbolizes that Christ has already saved you. Like a ring on my finger, it symbolizes a, a wife that is connected to me going into the waters of baptism symbolize that you are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. So your hearts have been sprinkled, your bodies have been washed, and you can draw near with full assurance of faith. 
How many of us struggle with drawing near to God, wondering if God is happy with us or if he's pleased with us or I've done enough to make him happy? And the reality is this, you will never do enough to make him more happy than he is than what Christ has done for you. That Christ has already done everything that is pleasing to God for you. And you come in the confidence of what Christ has done. And now as I draw near to God, I get the privilege of coming in. The entrance has been opened, and now I get the privilege of drawing near to him, drawing near by opening his word, drawing near by going to him in prayer, drawing near by coming together in community, but drawing near to God. See, we come here to meet with each other. We come here to celebrate with each other, but we are coming here to celebrate the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the majestic one. So draw near. The first practice of real fellowship is that you have to come together and draw near. But the second practice of fellowship is that you have to hold fast. Hold fast. It says here in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. See, this unwavering confidence that we have in God, that because of what Christ has done and the hope that we have, now I can come in the teachings of what Christ has done and the work of what Christ has done, and that has produced a hope in me. Not a hope so, as the world says, they cross their fingers, and I really hope this works, like a wish. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation It is a reality because God, who promised, is faithful, and I can trust him. He says, I want to give you eternal life, everlasting life. I want to transform you and change you. And you need to hold fast to that confession. You hold fast to the confession in the fact that you also, as you go into the waters of baptism, you oftentimes give a testimony of your faith. One of the great privileges that we have of of baptizing people is to see them go into the waters of baptism. But one of the coolest things for us is to be able to hear the testimonies of how God has done an amazing work in your life to draw you to faith. And as we hear the testimonies of how I've come out of darkness into light, out of Egypt, through the desert, to the promised land, that God is doing this amazing work in your life. And we get this opportunity not only to draw near, but to hold fast Sometimes when you're going through difficult struggles in your life, you have to just remind yourself of the fact that I am in Christ. That he loves me. He will never leave me. Hold fast to those confessions of hope. Hold fast without wavering, which is amazing that, you know, he, he talks in this Greek word. It's used only here in the, in the New Testament. It's based on this upright object, not inclining from all perpendicular relationships, there is this Christian experience of hope that is firm at one time, but shaky at another. That there is this this insecurity that we have at one point, but there's a firmness in the fact that God is faithful. You have a better trust in no one than what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Draw near. Hold fast, stir up. Verse 24, and let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good deeds. It means to stimulate. It's an interesting word. This this word stirring up takes on this idea of provoking or agitating. And so 
it could be taken in a negative, you know, do child, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. It could take on this idea of provoking in a negative way, but it also could take on this idea, the, the opposite, of agitating for good things. How much do you stir one another up for good things? I was thinking about we all desire social gatherings. All of us desire to meet with people. One of the privileges we're going to get after the service is to go for fellowship out there in the cafe. We're going to spend time with one another. And those social gatherings are so important, but there is something radically different between that social gathering and spiritual growth. How many of those conversations are about Christ? How many of those conversations about what you're learning in your scripture readings? How many of those conversations about the sins that you're struggling with? How many of those conversations go deep into the spiritual elements of life? Yes, we come together as a social community, but this is supposed to be different. This is supposed to be different than the restaurant down the road or the gathering down the road. What it is supposed to be is that this is a spiritual gathering of believers who are coming together because they've had the privilege of drawing near, and now they get an opportunity to stir one another up. And what are we stirring one another up to? Love and good works. You can't stir one another up to love if you are not living in a loving way. This love here is agape type of love. It's a love that is a self-giving love. This love is stimulating that it is, as it's coming out of you, it is connecting with others and it's drawing people to yourself, but it's also drawing people upward to God. Sometimes we find ourselves really struggling with loving one another because sometimes, let's be honest, we're difficult, right? God loves us all, and as I, as, I, as I draw near to God, God wants to love this person through me, radically transforming me, and he can give me a love for that person deep in my heart. As I draw near in faith, as I am confident in my hope, he wants to bring about the love that is in your life. Draw near. Hold fast. Stir up. He says, join with, verse 25, do not neglect meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day approaches. Sometimes we forsake the assembly of believers. I I think I was saying last week that some people believe that they can turn on a TV and that that's real church. They can turn on their computer screen and hear a sermon or even see a whole um, service from another church and they think that that is joining in. And that is not what the believer is talking about here. This is not only just the the church service on Sunday, but this gathering together is in community. Like tonight when we have our psalm study, tomorrow night when there is a prayer meeting, a men's group that is here, women's groups that are here, prayer meetings that are a a part of it, that as you join in, do not neglect those opportunities for you to be used by God to stir up one another and do not lose those opportunities for others to stir you up. Don't miss opportunities for our Sunday school program. For the young people that are here, bring your children to the Sunday school program so that they can be stirred up and that they can stir up others. Do not lose the opportunity, adults, for the opportunity for you to learn about God. You will not be grown in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ one hour on Sunday morning. 
You need to be drawing near with that huge privilege that God has given you. You need to understand that God wants to hold fast. He wants you to hold fast to the confession. And he wants to stir you up as you join together. And that's, that's in essence what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was getting at in his life together. You know, if you got a bulletin when you came in this morning, you've seen right on the front of that bulletin, what does it say? We exist to make more and better disciples for the glory of God. It says, we believe that this is done best in the context of vital relationships, first with him, Christ, and then with each other, and then with our community. That's our passion here at the chapel, that God wants to do a work in you, and then he wants to do a work through you. So I want you to think about this. I want this to be more than just a social gathering. Social gathering is fun. Some are going to talk about football games and playoff games. Some are going to talk about um, their newest grandchild. And some are going to talk about cars that they have in their homes. That is absolutely amazing and it's fun. I want that and I want to be able to talk about that. We're family, right? This is supposed to be a family and we do talk about those family things. But much more than this being a community of social gathering, I pray that this become a community of social growth and spiritual growth. That, that as you are coming together, I put a word on your, outline, on your path and pamphlet, and it's called koinonia. It's a Greek word. And the Greek word means fellowship. But it's not just fellowship. Doug can tell you that that word koinonia is defined in so many different ways in Scripture. That word koinonia or fellowship also could mean sharing with one another. It could mean generosity with one another. It can mean fellowship with one another. And that I believe the reason why koinonia or deep down fellowship is so multi-language or so many different words is because the community that comes together is so varied. What draws us together? As I look around, we look different, different shades. Some of us speak different languages. We have different cultures. What is it that draws you here? It's Christ. What is it that makes us a family? It's Christ. And so as that you spend time with each other, let koinonia share with one another. Give to one another. Fellowship with one another. And remind yourself of our position. We come by the blood. We come by the cross. His mercy flows from hands pierced from us. That the Lord Jesus Christ bled and died to give you the position that you're in, but now then you practice it. Practice your position. Live like a child of this family. Live like a child of God's family by drawing near to him. What family, good family, wouldn't want the child to draw near to their dad? I want my kids to draw near to me. The Heavenly Father wants that from you. Then he wants you to have hope that is absolutely confident and what he's promised you. And then he wants to use you to stir one another up. This is a dynamic relationship that we have, a living, an active, and energetic community. This interactive community comes together to live life together, and then we show life out to the world. So I guess I want to close with this. I want you to know that you can be hopeful. I want you to be hopeful in your confidence that you can draw near to the throne of grace. 
I have a new life. Christ lived and died and is living for me today. That in Christ, He lives through me. I come by His precious blood that was spilt for me and for you. That the veil has been separated. It's been torn. There is nothing that will ever separate the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ from the Father in heaven. I want you to remind yourself of your amazing position. You were infinitely loved. You're totally accepted. You're completely forgiven. You were justified. You were declared right. You're a part of God's family. You're adopted. You are in His family if you trust in Christ. That should produce such an amazing level of hope. But then I need you to be purposeful. See, it's not just hoping. It's about a purpose. You have a purpose. One author made a lot of money writing a book about our lives, the purpose of our lives. Well, I can tell you what the purpose of your life is. Reflect Christ. Live Christ. Over and over. Do it in your thoughts. Do it in your words. Do it in your actions. And figure out a way that you can stimulate people in your family and then stimulate people in this family for the glory and the honor of God. So what is this koinonia? This koinonia's foundation is our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to remind yourself that outside of Christ you are separated. See, if you're not in Christ, it is though the veil is still there. You cannot enter the holy place unless you come by the rent curtain of Christ's work or the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're outside of the Lord Jesus Christ today, the veil still stands. And there is a holy God on the other side, and you will have to give an account to that holy God. And I can tell you that nothing that you will ever bring will be enough to satisfy the holy wrath of that God. Nothing you will ever do will be able to be enough to satisfy the righteous requirements of that God. So if you sit here this morning, I I desperately plead to you that you can never have true koinonia fellowship unless you come by the foundation of the salvation work of Christ. Then I need you to recognize that our koinonia's characteristic is that we share with one another. We give to one another. There should be a generosity that is here. Some of us can be generous financially, but all of us can be generous with our time. All of us can be generous with our talents. Koinonia means that we share with one another. Jesus Christ gave everything for you. Can't you give something to him? The threat of our koinonia is our self and sin. So when we don't deal with our sin in our lives, it is going to threaten the koinonia and the fellowship that is here. Our obligation is to serve one another, to encourage one another. The amazing joy is the outcome of our fellowship. Jesus Christ had said that make my joy complete. Paul had said something similar in Philippians chapter 2. He says if there's any encouragement with being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any tenderness in the spirit, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being one purpose. Our foundation is our salvation. The characteristic is generosity and sharing. The threat is sin and self. Our obligation is to serve and to encourage. The outcome is our joy and the sign of our communion. Our sign of our fellowship is this table that sits before us, the communion table. 
that it was interesting that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul had talked about gathering together for a meal, and as they gathered together, they were breaking their fellowship. They were breaking their koinonia. So I pray that this morning, as we, as we take this communion table, and as we think about what the Lord did, this Lord's Supper, that he bled for you, his body was broken for you, that body rent, as Spurgeon said, that curtain that separates you from God, you can draw near, you can have confidence, you can stir one another up. Know your position and practice that position today. So Lord, I pray that as we, um, as we come today to your table, your son's table, Father, as we, as we see the elements before us, I pray that you would remind us of this awesome privilege that we have. The awesome privilege that we have of being in Christ. We enter the holiest of places because of the blood of Christ. We can come confidently. That, that there's a new way of living. That, that God, you don't want to leave us in our old state. You want to transform us. You, we're new in Christ, a new creation, Father. Help us to know that and help us to believe that and help us to live that out. Help us to know not only our position of that, but help us to know the position that we stand with a, a high priest that finished the work, that there doesn't have to be any other sacrifice, one sacrifice once for all, Lord. I praise you for that. And I thank you for, now out of that awesome position, help us to know how we could practice a life of fellowship. Help us to know that we can draw near to you. Help us not to forsake that opportunity. Help us to hold fast to our, to our confession. Help us to have hope, faith, hope. But then desperately, as, as your son said, the greatest commandment was to love you, but the second greatest commandment was to love each other. Help us to be um, doing that in our lives and help us to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.